Welcome to Madang. Today's special guest is Brian McLaren on his latest book, Do I Stay Christian? He shares about white Christianity, parenting, heresy, Jesus and an oppressed brown Palestinian Jew, Roman Empire, the Doctrine of Discovery, and so much more. Please stay tuned. Please join over 3,000 people on Homebrew Christianity's online class, Do I Stay Christian? This is an online pop-up learning community with Brian McLaren and Trip Fuller. This is a four-week exploration of staying Christian, a guide for the doubters, the disappointed, and the disillusioned. Please follow Homebrew Christianity as Dr. Fuller has other amazing weekly podcasts. Join him as he celebrates 14 amazing years of podcasting and has become the most listened to theological podcast in the world. Rooted in the Christian Quaker tradition of contemplation that inspires action, ESR prepares theologically diverse students for a pluralistic world. ESR offers many graduate programs, such as Master of Divinity, Master of Arts in Peace and Social Transformation, Master of Arts in Religion, Master of Arts in Theopoetics and Writing. ESR also offers postgraduate certificates, such as Bivocational Ministry Certificate, Entrepreneurial Ministry Certificate, and Writing as Ministry Certificate. Furthermore, ESR offers scholarship funds that do not have to be paid back, such as the Cooper Scholar Program and Starrett Scholar Program. Please check ESR website at www.esr.erlum.edu for all degrees, certificates, and scholarships. Join me at the Writing for Your Life online conference, How to Write Dangerously, September 12 through 16, along with an outstanding group of speakers, including John Palovitz, Lisa Sharon Harper, Brian McLaren, Frank Thomas, Robin Henderson Espinosa, Amy Julia Becker, and many more. Go to writingforyourlife.com to learn more. For sponsorship inquiries, please email madangpodcast.gmail.com. This is Madang, an outdoor living room for guests to share their experiences and their work. I invite you to come in and stay for a while. Welcome to Madang. Today I have a very interesting and special guest, Brian McLaren. He's a former college English teacher and was a pastor for 24 years. Now he's an author, activist, public theologian, and frequent guest lecturer for gatherings in the U.S. and internationally. His work has been covered in Time Magazine, Newsweek, USA Today, The New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, and many other media outlets. Brian has written over 15 books, including Faith After Doubt, do I Stay Christian and a New Kind of Christian? He is a faculty member of the Living School at the Center for Action and Contemplation. Today, I'm so grateful that he joins us on Madame Podcast to discuss his latest book, Do I Stay Christian? His book has been endorsed by many, many big name figures, and one of them is Father Richard Rohr, who writes, Brian's new book on remaining Christian, knocks it out of the ballpark in terms of framing and naming the questions. 
I cannot stop reading it. Thank you, Brian. And Reverend Dr. Amy Butler says, any thoughtful Christian has been asking the questions McLaren tackles here, but many of us are afraid to voice them out loud. In Do I Stay Christian, we're gifted a gentle guide who opens ideas and voices the questions we cannot, naming our frustration, fear, and hesitant hope. So Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. I know you're so busy, so thank you so much. Well, I have to say, I'm so happy to be with you and I'm a fan of your podcast and of your work. So it's an honor to be with you, thanks. Oh, thank you, that means so much to me. Yeah. I'm gonna put that on uh, Rewind and listen to it all day long. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very, very true. It's very, very Oh, true. thank you. And it's, you know, it's great to have you on finally. You know, it, it takes me so long. Other podcast hosts, they do like three a week or something. I just do like one a month and I can barely survive <laughs> doing one a month. So I'm so glad to get you on because you are such like a big name and you have impacted Christianity and my life in so many ways. So thank you so much for coming on. And before we get into this fabulous book, Do I Stay Christian? I wanted to ask you about your work at the Center uh, for Action and Contemplation, because I've, I've always been interested in it. Yes, and yes. then, um, you know how Father Rohr has a daily meditation thing, and he tweeted at me, and one meditation was on my book, Homebrewed Christianity's Guide to the Holy Spirit. And I thought, I didn't even know he knew I even existed. So that <laughs> just blew me out of the, you know, I was just gone. And I just told everybody over and over again that he read my book. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm hoping to have him on one day too. So tell me your work about that before we get into your book. Sure. Well, uh, Richard and I uh, have been friends for a little more than 20 years, 23 wow. years, something like that. Wow. And um, originally, he and I were, in, were invited to speak at a, a, a gathering, and the organizer of the gathering said, uh, I've set aside a lunch. I want you, to, you two to meet each other. I had read one of his books, but I didn't know him. Uh, and, you know, he being in the Catholic world, I was in the Protestant world. Uh, thank God this is breaking down, but people tend to run in their lanes, you know, and you don't get to cross-pollinate. So he and I had lunch and hit it off. And then over the next several years, we would get invited to speak at the same events and our paths would cross. And we'd almost always managed to get a meal together. And so a, a good friendship developed. And Richard, uh, you know, is in his, he's uh, 79 and he's had a lot of health problems and in, in recent years. And uh, the organization has been smart to be thinking, you know, they can't keep all the weight can't be on his shoulders. So a few years ago, they contacted me and asked, you know, would I be able to, uh, to be involved and sort of help lift maybe some of Richard's load for, for teaching. So it's been a, a great experience. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and it's, we're, we've got a, a beautiful faculty, uh, Jim Finley, who's just an amazing human being, and Dr. Barbara Holmes, just phenomenal educator and intellect. And, um, and yeah, so it's, it's been a great experience. And, and I, I'm not at all surprised uh, uh, that your book would be on the CAC's uh, radar, um, Grayson. And there are many reasons for it. Number one, you being a you know, brilliant thinker and oh, educator. You're and too nice. <laughs> But but 
seriously, um, you know, one of the things that is happening in the world of contemplation is that East and West are meeting. Yeah. And, um, and your work, for example, I loved in, in your, the book you mentioned a minute ago, uh, yeah, talking Albert. about the, the connection of chi uh -huh. and uh, the Holy Spirit. I just think oh. there's so much that's so rich and so important there that's having a big influence on me and is, I think, going to be even more important in the coming years. So Oh, Brian, I should have had you on earlier. If you're going to say all these nice things about me, I should have had you on earlier. I needed to hear that. Thank you so much for reading my book, too. But please tell Father Richard Moore that I am just blown away. And I'm just so excited that he even knew who I was and even read one of my books. I hope that, you know, I hope to get involved. You know, my students love his work, too. And they're always asking, you know, can we always study him, blah, blah, blah. So I, I'm just thrilled and I'm so excited that you're teaching there and maybe if you need more people I would love to get involved yes yeah, so, so put Fantastic. me in the back burner somewhere if you uh, need somebody <laughs> I, I, I would love that too I would love that too that yeah. would be a great and, thing um, one of my books long time ago was called Contemplations from the Heart. So I just love his center. And yes. I remember him saying the action part is so important. That's why he had to put that in yes. the, the name. So Center for Action and Contemplation, which is great. And I'm so glad you're doing that as well as all these other things that you're doing amazing you know you get to speak with him on different occasions i just hear you speak on different <laughs> occasions so it's great that you're here and i just you know what i really loved your book because um you were able to say just like amy butler you know ask these questions and say the things that many of us want to say and me as an academic I'm so afraid to say and ask and talk about so I'm so glad that you were able to do this and you begin the book I, I was kind of I, I had to laugh all day long when I read the sentence <laughs> nobody is born a religious jerk <laughs> it takes a religion to help someone become that way I think you need a huge bumper sticker and a banner because I think that's like one of the greatest quotes of all time. Nobody is born a religious jerk. It takes a religion to help somebody, someone become that way. So tell us listeners what you really were thinking when you wrote that, because I think it's, you need a huge poster for this. Well, and I don't remember exactly, but I think the next sentence is something like, and I know this from personal experience or something. Um, <laughs> Yeah, in fact, writing that sentence really came from an experience in parenting. Um, my mm -hmm. children are all now between the ages of 35 and 41. And I'm sure just like you, um, Grace, you know, being a parent is the most important thing I've ever done. It, it you know, I was not casual about parenting. I put my whole art into it as did, uh, as and as I do still, and as my wife does. And, um, but, you get older. <laughs> it's funny when when we when we had very young kids, we had a friend whose kids were a little bit older, and he pulled me aside and he said, Brian, do your best for your kids, do your very, very best. And then when they get become adults, apologize and tell them they deserve better. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we always sort of kept that in the back of our minds. But it was interesting uh, to learn how uh, the religious framework that 
that, that I raised my kids in that I think was a big improvement over the religious framework I was raised in still had its harm. And over the years, each of my kids has talked to me about some of that harm. And I, I realized, you know, who knows how your life could have been, but I realized that I could, that there were elements of my religious upbringing that made me a worse parent than I think I would have been uh, other, otherwise. So, of, of course, those are such complicated uh, hypotheticals, but oh, we sure see it in the world today, and politically, ecologically. I mean, look, any person with an open mind would take climate change seriously. Any person who pays attention to facts, unless religion and politics polluted their brains to make them doubt uh, what's obvious, you know. Um, any any sensible human being who would meet people of different races and religions would lose their sense of white supremacy or whatever kind of supremacy, Christian supremacy, whatever, um, nationalism. You meet people and you realize we're all human beings, but our religions and often with our politics successfully convince us that we're superior, whatever the we is. So yeah, that's part of what I, I, I mean about, by that. Yeah. And I, I still love it. I'm going to keep reading it and maybe I'll put, <laughs> I'll print it out for myself because I think, you know, and you do write in your book about how you wrote a letter to one of your adult children. And I thought yeah. my kids are old, getting older too. And I remember one of them said, um, you know, two are in their twenties and they, one of them said that, oh, you know, they're an adult now. And I said, no, in the Korean tradition, even if you're 60 and I'm still alive, I'm still your parent. <laughs> and I can still tell you what to do. But anyway, you know, it, we have all these different traditions that we belong to. But I think when, when they were born, you know, you have all these ideals. This is what I'm going to do. And I actually wrote a, like a journal for each of the kids until they were maybe like six months or one year. And then you get so busy, you can't yeah, keep up with I wish I, I continued, but I think part of that, I think your, you know, you included a, a letter of forgiveness. Mm. I think, you know, you set such a good example because I think all of us need to do that. So that might be another thing I might have to do and put on my to-do list because, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, when I read your book and your life, I feel like we kind of lived parallel lives, but, you know, I'm behind you, but we still did because I grew up very conservative evangelical Christianity and damaged me and I tried yeah. to raise my kids differently but you know I'm I'm sure I damaged them along the way to <laughs> and continue to do so <laughs> so I'm just grateful that you can put that in your book and share with us so you know us parents um, need to be reminded that we do so many dreadful things to our kids so thank you for adding that um, you also talk about early in Christian history, heretic was a neutral word, mm. roughly equivalent to nonconformist. But by the middle of the second century, the word changed to an epithet. So can you share us more? Because whenever I teach theology, we always go into heresy and orthodoxy. Yes. So I just love this topic so much. And I'm so glad you touched on it. So say a bit more. Sure, uh, Grayson. And, and you know, I, I would imagine, you know, way more about this than I do, but it, just in the last few years, uh -huh. there has been a lot of uh, new research about the earliest forms of Christianity. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say there was no such thing as Christianity. There were many Christianities. There were many 
very, very different takes. And we even see it if you just think about the difference between the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John, people who were formed by one or the other of those documents would have, it, they're just very, very different understandings of Jesus. So, and, and you even feel it in the letters uh, of, the, of the New Testament. Um, and, and so diversity was, th there was so much diversity. Uh, and, uh, and I suppose uh, all of the dynamics of this are complex and the story has been told in a lot of different ways, but when power became centralized, um, and that power, that centralized power was in, involved deals that were made between bishops of the church and the emperor of Rome, uh, it, it created a shift in Christian ethos where now conformity was not only a theological virtue, it was a political necessity. And, and, the, and the consequences of not conforming could be banishment, imprisonment, and, you know, centuries later, torture and death. So, uh, yeah, it, and, and what that meant is that the Christian faith that was flowering um, ends up being uh, re-centralized. And of course, under people who have made deals with uh, uh, the emperor uh, of the most powerful and arguably, you know, a, a, a institutionalized violence at a pretty high scale that have all kinds of cultural supremacy, political supremacy, uh, a, a whole theology of domination, man, deep, deep effects. And, and when you look through Christian history, the irony is for Protestants like you and me, we celebrate Protestants having the courage to be different, uh, not so much after we're in control of our own little areas. <laughs> now being different is a heresy again. Yeah. So thank you so much for touching on that. In your book, you talk about Jesus a lot. So, you know, you, you do mention, which I was so glad about, because I'm kind of working on this topic about um, Jesus wasn't oppressed. This is what you're right. Jesus was an oppressed brown Palestinian Jew living in a Middle Eastern nation that was occupied by a European empire centered in Rome. And I'm so glad, I'm always thankful when a white man uh, reminds the rest of us, because we people of color have been yeah. saying it over and over again that Jesus was not white. Yes. Um, and so I'm so glad that you mentioned it. So why in the world do we keep talking about Jesus as a white savior? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that when uh, the, the two centers of Christianity, one was in Constantinople and one was in Rome, and then uh, in, in a sense, both of them represented kind of Eurocentric and white dominant forms of Christianity. Uh, in, the, in the earliest decades and centuries of the church, one of the main centers of Christianity was in Egypt. And, and in many ways, the spiritual center, uh, there was a spiritual center in North Africa. Um, so, you know, Af uh, Christianity could have been an African religion if, if yeah. things had gone differently. Yeah. At the very least, it was a Middle Eastern religion, not a European religion. Uh -huh. But for all of the, you know, complex reasons, uh, dynamics of history, Europeans ended up uh, 
of course, they, they never had a monopoly on Christianity. There was a vibrant Ethiopian church, and I was just with a friend the other day who's of Indian descent, uh, uh, and the Martama church, you know, was her heritage. And, and uh, so there was a church in India that goes way, way, way back, and the Syrian uh, churches and so on. They, they were different. They had their own identity. Uh, but this domination by white Europeans then gets weaponized um, in the 1400s was something a lot of people now are learning about. And if folks haven't, I hope they'll Google the term doctrine of discovery. Mm -hmm. and, and this created this militaristic, colonizing, supremacist fusion of white European identity and Christian identity that has, as I write in the book, has had an, an incalculable death toll and life toll, meaning just draining and, and degrading the lives of, I mean, literally, you know, hundreds of millions of people. It's devastating. So I'm so glad you spent some time on that doctrine of discovery. And I'll be using that for my future research work that I'm doing. I think you laid it out so clearly the devastation that this doctrine had on Native Americans and First Nations too in, in Canada. So I just am so grateful that you laid it out. And if people are interested, they can, you know, even just for that piece, I think it's worthwhile um, diving into your book because you laid out so clearly and, and then you tie it in with uh, white Christianity or Christianity being associated with white supremacy. Yeah. And I just love it when white people write about this because then people will take it more seriously. So I just thank you uh, for bringing that together and tying it in. Did you wanna say more about white supremacy? Because for me, I thought that was a key point in your book and, and your title is, do I stay Christian my whole life? That hasn't been my question. My question was, do I stay in the church? But mm -hmm. I liked it the way you wrote, do I stay a Christian? Because that's even a bigger question. Yeah. So if you wanted to say more about the white supremacy and Christianity. So, um, you know, I never like to mention people's names in a negative light, but I'm going to almost do that right now. Okay, but go ahead. Just, but just today, um, you know, as we're having this conversation, the Southern Baptists are having their big um, gathering. and mm -hmm. and. Uh, and they were on the verge of kicking Rick Warren out of the denomination. And um, uh, I know Rick, we, I, I, would, I would consider us having, you know, a friendly uh, relationship. He's been very, always treated me very kindly. And I, I, I have uh, a lot of respect for him. Um, but it was interesting today reading a quote where he talked about how the times are becoming so dark, evil and secular. And I just, you know, I wanted to get on the phone and say, Rick, why do you talk that way? What are you referring to? Do you think times were better before 1860 when, <laughs> when people were enslaved? I mean, they were sure more religious, but they were also more white supremacists and they endorsed slavery and hatred of native peoples. And as you know, for decades and decades after that, uh, oppressive toward Asian immigrants. Um, and you know, I just think, why does this kind of garbage keep being said by these conservative white Christians? You know, I would have to say that for most people, their lives are so much better that now that the world is more secular. <laughs> um, and, 
yeah. So it just, it, it <laughs> just, it breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart that that form of Christianity is so blind to its own history. It is dangerous. And this is why I, Grace, I felt I had to write about this, mm -hmm. even though I think I wrote about it a lot more than a lot of readers would like to hear it, because here's my fear. The worst crimes that the Christian religion has ever committed could be in our future or, or worse crimes could be in our future than any of the horror. And that's saying a lot. Um, but and we see it in the kinds of leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention who perpetuate ignorance and who are fueling. You know, I live in Florida. Um, I often say Florida exists so that all other states in the United States could say, well, things could be worse. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, our governor is just on this crusade to uh, to make sure that poor, fragile white ears will never hear anything that will make them feel bad about our history. Oh, my gosh, it's it's it, it is so sad. And what you're describing right now and in your book, that's why it's so important, because people of color can write about the atrocities that the doctrine of discovery and white Christianity, white supremacist Christianity have done to people of color. And people will just say you're complaining, mm -hmm. but it's so important for someone like you and of your stature to write about it. That's what I just loved. And I just kept turning the pages. What else is he going to criticize? And please say more. I'm like, please, Brian, well, get hey, more into it. Well, so well, I, that's I really loved your book. I think it's so important that both people of color and white people read it because I think white Christians and Christians in general, we have very bad memory, we forget about it, and we need to be reminded of it. And I think it should be preached, it should be studied, it should be in Bible studies, um, that it is also, it's not that far from our history, it's kind yeah. of very recent. So I think, you know, your book was so good at pointing out some of these um, big problems that Christians have caused throughout history. You began from the beginning all the way to the present. So you did a very thorough job. So I was really grateful for that. Well, well, Grace, let me just say, um, I, as a white Christian, I made it through over 50 years of my life, never hearing the, about the doctrine of discovery never hearing about, you know, this incredible history, yeah. uh, incredibly horrific history. Mm -hmm. um, so white people, we, we've created this brainwashing and this suppression. It's, it's as if you could imagine Germany succeeding and never learning, uh, like covering up the history yeah. of, of what happened in World War II. Yeah. Uh -huh. But and so the only reason I know about this is because of people of color who were saying it and it, like the only way a white guy heard about it was because people of color told me, I think, for example, of uh, Mark Charles, uh, uh, Navajo yeah. mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, leader who, uh, you know, ran for does, president, he ran for president yeah. and he uh -huh. and Sung Chan Ra did such yeah. a great job in their book uh, telling, talking about. Uh, the, the doctrine of discovery um, called un unsettling truths. Um, but also, I just think it was Howard Thurman and James Cohn and John Sabrino. And, you know, it was all of and uh, Naima Teak and all of these people of color who introduced this white kid to 
liberation theology that helped me understand that in the Bible, when you read the word salvation, uh -huh. uh, the real meaning is liberation. Like why we use the word salvation instead of liberation to me in itself is propaganda. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. I think you got it right on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Thank you. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're reading so many people of color. So that's really good for me as a theologian, because that's one of our problems in seminary, too, that our curriculum is so white, our syllabus is so white. And, you know, we got to um, read people, other diverse voices and hear them and bring them to the table. So I'm glad um, that you are learning from us and, mm -hmm. and it goes both ways. I think the dialogue is so important. Yeah. That's why it's so great to not only read your book, but also have a this wonderful discussion on my podcast, my dad. So <laughs> thank you for that. Um, I There was another part in your book, which I thought was really interesting because the image that you gave me was just I can't get rid of the image. And it's when you write about the Roman Empire saw Jesus as a threat to their violent regime. So they had him tortured and publicly executed as a matter of standard procedure. By pinning a naked human being to wood, the way a dead butterfly or grasshopper is pinned in a display case, the empire showed its own absolute dominance and its victims absolute defeat. I just, you know, I can't get rid of that image anymore that, you know, because I think everyone who went to school in the Western world had those pinned grasshoppers and crickets, and it was just part of our elementary science classes. And to think, and you gave this clear image, wow, that was just, I can't get rid of it anymore. Mm -hmm. So did you want to say more about, because it is this violent empire and we as Christians have whitewashed it, made it, you know, it, it wasn't bad, you know, he, and we wear our crosses on our, oh. you know, no one would dare wear an electric uh, chair on their neck, yeah. but we feel it's fine to have a cross on our neck or a crucifixion. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I found it so powerful and I, I can't get rid of that image. I mean, just again, I, I, I guess I'm mentioning names because I think the times are really dangerous. But just mm -hmm. in the last few days, a, a, a YouTube video came out or a little video clip came out of a, a you know, member of Congress, Lauren Boebert, um, speaking to a Christian group saying Jesus didn't have enough AR-15s so he couldn't <gasps> defend himself from being killed by his government. Oh my. And, and when you see what she's doing there, she, in a sense, is making, she's revealing how the cross was this, it was like an AR-15. It was a weapon of mass killing, and its intent was to pulverize people and turn them, you know, to, to utterly dispatch with them. Um, and the, when early Christians took the cross, it was like, it was as if to say, like the power of the cross was that this is what Rome does. This is an exposure of the evil of Rome. Our leader, our Lord, our teacher uh, was nonviolent. He, he, was, he showed more power enduring the cross than Rome showed inflicting the cross upon people. And then you just realize the Christian religion starting with Constantine. I mean, the famous story about Constantine, you know, wanting to put the cross on their shields. It, it's not a sign of 
of nonviolence anymore. It's a sign of crushing, humiliating, vicious, hateful, arrogant, theocratic violence. And, and we see it resurging in the, in the Christian faith. Yeah. Uh, as uh, no other religion has anything at, uglier than that going on than, than we Christians have in the world right now. And it is so socially acceptable, uh, uh, religiously acceptable. And that's why I think um, people like you and I, we have to talk about this. We, uh, we have to get people uh, facing it. Can I tell you uh, just a quick anecdote oh, yeah. about this? Uh -huh. um, Please. Shortly after September 11th, 2001, yeah. I was at a gathering with some Muslim scholars and I met this Muslim scholar. And she, I, I can't even remember why, but we had some need to exchange email addresses because she was going to send me something. And when she sent whatever it was she was sending me, she sent an email and she said, uh, I'd never heard of you. I didn't know who you were. So I Googled your name and the word Muhammad, Muslim, Islam, because I wanted to find out what you had said about my religion and my prophet. And she said, when I looked across the internet, there is no record of you ever speaking ill of my religion and my prophet. Um, and then she said, uh, she said something like, thank you so much for being a true Christian. Mm. Um, and then she said, does anyone doubt that if smoke goes up smokestacks in the 21st century, it will not be Muslims who are being, uh, you know, killed, mm. evoking that horrible image. And uh -huh. it's just this room. And, and what it told me is that every time she met a Christian, her assumption was this was a person who is a threat to her existence, mm -hmm. unless she could prove otherwise. And I understand why people feel that way. So anyhow, it's just this, to me, it's this message that if we're Christians, a huge part of our peace, peacemaking work has to begin in our own faith community, urging people to take the message of peace. Uh, yeah, thank from, you from so Jesus. much Let's for sharing that story because I think that's so important. And even in your book, you do right. It was by 1748, John of Damascus had identified Muhammad as a false prophet. Yeah. And so, you know, that just, and, you know, we have Islamophobia today and, yeah. you know, the 9 11 event, you know, it's just awful of what Christians have done. Uh, and have moved away from the teachings of Jesus who said, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, yes. you know, it just, it, it's mind blowing yeah. um, what has happened to Christianity. And um, so I think it's so important for us to recognize that. And earlier you mentioned about crusades and, and you said, you know, sometimes people think the crusades ended but it's perhaps going on even today. And, you know, there is so much violence under the name of Christianity. And so I don't know what we are to do about all this violence that's happening. And you just mentioned the, the YouTube video too. So how are we to fight this violence uh, of our Christian past and our present Christianity? Well, I think, you're doing it by being a scholar and a writer and a preacher and a podcaster. And I'm, 
Uh, I'm trying to do the same, although I'm not a, a professional scholar as you are. So I just think we just we we all have to say it's our it's our work. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's our work, and, and it's not that. It, and it has to do, you know, I mean, if we'd been born 400 years ago we wouldn't have had climate change as a front burner issue. But yeah. when you're born in the time we were born, uh -huh. climate change is a front burner issue. And being born when we're born and having a Christian identity means these issues are, are issues that come with the territory. So, uh, yeah. and, and, and if people find that a shock, it's just a sign of how well brainwashed they have been. Yeah, and I think it's also the rebranding of these things, because yeah. in, in your book, you said the crusade ended around 1300, but, you know, we would say it lasts another 500 or it's ongoing yes. under the alias, and you named it so correctly, you said European Christian colonialism and i yes. think that is exactly truth uh christianity or i would say white christianity keeps rebranding and renaming these old events that they have been engaged in yeah. and when you talk about doctrine of discovery in your book you also said it's better or better called the doctrine of white christian uh, yeah white christian supremacy yeah. when i saw that i was like well, I think you hit it right on, <laughs> you know, this doctrine of discovery, which you called better known as the doctrine of white Christian supremacy. I think that is exactly what it was. So thank you for naming it that way. I, um, you know, when I look at my upbringing, uh, my parents were extraordinary because for various reasons, they believed and practiced racial equality, but oh. um, they were exceptions, really. In, uh -huh. in yeah, that religious. is an exception, yeah. Um, especially, you know, I, I, I was born in the 1950s. So, but um, the, the thing I realize now is that it would be, although it's becoming sadly easier, but there, there are millions of people who would never, ever call themselves white supremacists, but they would be proud to say they're Christian supremacists. And, and what ends up happening is white supremacy sneaks in through their Christian supremacy. And, and of course, they would, they would quote a Bible verse, uh, they, they could quote Bible verses that would, uh, uh, you know, that they could defend Christian supremacy. But isn't it interesting, Jesus himself said, the lords of the Gentiles pretend they're benefactors when they lord it over people. Um, and, and then he says, but, you know, I don't play that game. He says, I'm among you as one who serves. So he contrasts himself with supremacy and domination. Uh -huh. It's the very opposite of what he's about. And then even Paul in, uh, in Philippians 2, when he celebrates in one of the two probably most powerful Christological passages in the New Testament, he celebrates Jesus for downward mobility, for not grasping at supremacy, but for wanting to be a servant. I mean, where do we get this idea that Christian supremacy is acceptable? And, you know, yeah. and, and, and as you know, um, this then infects other cultures. So, for example, a, a dear Korean friend of mine went as a, a short-term missionary to Mongolia some years ago, and there he met 
Korean Christians who were bringing the same kind of cultural imposition on Mongolians as white people had brought to Koreans. And, uh, and I was it stuck in an airport in uh, Nairobi, Kenya for like 12 hours or something. And on the wall is a television playing televangelists from across Africa. And I was watching it happen. A Nigerian preacher is saying, the Lord has revealed to us that Africa has been given to Nigeria. And so he was justifying Nigerians having supremacy over the rest of Africa in the name of Christ. So it's the same. I mean, to do this in the name of someone who said, I'm among you as one who serves. Yeah. It, it's mind boggling. And I just, yeah, it, it's hard for me. Yeah, to see that and what white missionaries, when they came to Asia, they taught us this white Christianity yeah. and that is upheld and practiced today. And me as an immigrant, when I point stuff out, you know, this may be wrong. And then, then I get blamed for a lot of things or, or named as being non-Christian and that happens. Yes all the time. So yeah. I think uh, what white missionaries instilled in us uh, was told as the truth. Yes. And we have to profess whatever white missionaries told us and yeah. whatever they said about how horrible our, our heritage, our culture, our, yes. our religion was, we accepted that too. Yes. So it, it, it is this bad cycle. And then the Korean missionaries then go out to other places, like you have said, and, and just perpetuate the same message of whiteness and white supremacy, etc. And so also in your book, you say, um, you know, the death toll, that was astounding to me, of the colonization project from 1493 to 1892. One researcher estimates 50 million were killed in the 20th century alone. That, I, you know, in the name of Christianity, we go out and murder and kill and overtake and colonize. What are we supposed to do with all this data? And how do we even move forward? Yeah. Well, of course, what a lot of people do is they say, well, I want nothing to do with Christianity. Yeah. They, they see it as the sort of spiritual camouflage uh -huh. for this kind of violence. And I, I try to take that concern very, very seriously. And as you know, in the second third of the book, the middle section of the book, I, I talk about what, what our options are and, and what are the consequences of saying we're going to leave? What are the consequences? What are different ways that we can stay? But um, uh, I, I think one of the things that happened to me, Grace, and I can just speak of this sort of by way of honest, personal testimony is that you face this in Christianity and then you realize that it's present elsewhere too. So yeah, the Soviet Union, you know, establishes a, a, a atheistic state and incredible atrocities are, yeah. are perpetuated there. And Paul Pot takes power in Cambodia and horrible atrocities. And so then you start realizing, oh no, the problem isn't just Christianity, the problem is human beings. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and when we face the human dimension of this, not to let Christianity off the hook, but to say, instead of Christianity being part of the problem, are there ways that some of us who are Christians can say, let's 
be part of the solution. Yeah. And, and we'll do it in a different way because we'll look for our Muslim and Jewish and Buddhist and Hindu and Sikh and other and 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 agnostic and humanistic and other friends and we'll we'll say how can we work together you know on this human problem because when when all we do is point oh it's those atheists that oh it's those Muslims oh it's those Christians in a certain sense we 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 aren't facing the depth of the human problem yeah so and, that, and I'm glad you steered it that way because I don't want to say your whole book is all just negativity. There are these positive ways and you do ask the question, is there a space for a Christian like me within Christianity? And I think, you know, you began the podcast interview by saying many Christianities and maybe that is a way there's enough room for us who think differently and practice differently and also in your previous book this great spiritual uh, migration you do say you know christian faith is not an evacuation plan to heaven but a transformation plan for the earth and i think that is so key to you know am i going to stay as a christian do, do i remain in the faith because I think it needs to be transformative that we do change and climate change is one of the biggest issues of our time. What are we going to do about climate change and mass incarceration, racial yeah. injustice? And, and, and you, you also talk about patriarchy too, which was, I was yeah. glad to, uh, that you did. So all these uh, patriarchal issues, you know, sexism, these are big issues. And I think you're continuing on this conversation from all your previous books, that if we remain, you know, this is what we need to do. So I'm so grateful for, it's not all just the negative things that I was talking about, but I was glad that you mentioned it yes. um, as a white man, um, but there is all these other positive things. So thank you for all that mm -hmm. uh, material. Um, so any kind of last words of, of wisdom that you want to share? I, I wish we had all day to do this, but I know you're busy. So any kind of last words, especially for those who are wondering, do I remain in the faith? For me, it was always, do I remain in the church? Because I always felt the church was so negative, mm -hmm. but I always knew that there was something good about Christianity, even in the yes. midst of all that trouble. Yes. So for those who are struggling. Yes. Yeah. Any well, maybe one thing I could say, Grace, that is you know very relevant to our conversation right now. Um, I, you know, I, I spent my I was a pastor for 24 years, uh, and since then I, I've been you know working mostly with clergy, uh, and I've spent my life trying to help Christianity be renewed or, you know, however you want to say it. Um, but I don't know, in, in the last 10 years, I think it finally, a, a sentence bubbled up in, in me. And here is the, the sentence. If Christianity, if our churches could be full and vibrant and alive and never deal with the issue of race, would I be happy? Yeah. And I thought to myself, the world would be a worse place if there is a vibrant racist Christianity still, still uh, alive and well on the earth. And so what that helped me realize is the only future for Christianity that strikes me as a good one is, and by the way, the same would go with for patriarchy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The only future for Christian faith that is remotely redemptive 
in my honest feeling, is a future where women and men are are par equal partners, and where, uh, and if anything, where women are given the first and last word because men have botched things up for <laughs> so badly for so long. And I think there's all kinds of things we could say about that. A and where where white people are are just lose all of that supremacy and where we rediscover one another as as honored and respected and beloved peers and where our differences are causes for curiosity and interest and respect and and mutual mutual you know collaboration with different gifts and skills that's a future that i think is desirable and you know I'm just honored to be working alongside you for that kind of a future. Oh, that that is, you know, you said you're not a pre, uh, uh, you haven't been in the church as a minister, but anyway, that sounded so so much like a sermon. So thank you for sharing that. I think there is still hope within Christianity, yes. and as you mentioned before, it's the people that are yes. the problem. If we just look at the message of Jesus. And I, and I know you deal with dualism, and, and I'm so glad that you are breaking down dualistic ways of thinking, because I think that is a huge problem within Christianity. So if we deal with these negative things and the people that are the problem, <laughs> if we go to the message of Jesus, and I think, you know, there is hope because we do, as you mentioned in your previous books, you know, we need to live in this transformative lives and whatever religion that we may have been born into or are part of, I think there is this aspect that always kind of tells us to move and, and do good and change um, the bad parts of society. And I hope that Christianity itself, the problems that you named in your book, we will be able to move beyond it and, and um, recognize it and remember it yeah. but but change our ways i think that is so important yeah. for the future of christianity and for our kids and the grandkids that are going to come after us yes. so thank you so much brian for writing the book first and for naming the problems because for me that was like way to go brian <laughs> we need you to say it clear oh. so i'm just grateful and i'll be using your book um i i am going to it's already part of my other ongoing work so uh, thank you so much for writing it um before we end are you writing uh, or on a new book so, working on a new book um so i i <laughs> have to give my brain a little bit of a rest but yeah, I, you, I, yeah. but um after the new year, I'm going to start on a, a book that uh, is tentatively entitled Life After Doom. And oh. it's, it, I want to talk about what does it mean to live in a world where things in all likelihood are going to get worse before they get better? <laughs> okay. and, and how do we how do we do that without succumbing to despair or denial? Yeah. Oh, actually, that'll be a very good book to follow up with this one. So those who uh, decide to stay within Christianity can read your next book. <laughs> and those who laugh, maybe they may come back after your next book. <laughs> we are a dying breed. So we must recognize that we are a dying breed. People aren't going to church or turning to Christianity for anything. 
but you are a hope for us. So thank you so much, Brian, for um, you writing all these books and speaking and working at the Center for Action and Contemplation. Thank you so much. I wish we had the whole day to speak, but thank you so much for your time and for coming on Madan to share. And when your new book comes out after you take a long deserved break, um, please do come back. Okay, thank you so much and keep up the great work. Grace. Oh, thank you, Brian. Thank you so much. Please join over 3,000 people on Homebrew Christianity's online class, Do I Stay Christian? This is an online pop-up learning community with Brian McLaren and Trip Fuller. This is a four-week exploration of staying Christian, a guide for the doubters, the disappointed, and the disillusioned. Please follow Homebrew Christianity as Dr. Fuller has other amazing weekly podcasts. Join him as he celebrates 14 amazing years of podcasting and has become the most listened to theological podcast in the world. Rooted in the Christian Quaker tradition of contemplation that inspires action, ESR prepares theologically diverse students for a pluralistic world. ESR offers many graduate programs such as Master of Divinity, Master of Arts in Peace and Social Transformation, Master of Arts in Religion, Master of Arts in Theopoetics and Writing. ESR also offers postgraduate certificates such as Bivocational Ministry Certificate, Entrepreneurial Ministry Certificate, and Writing as Ministry Certificate. Furthermore, ESR offers scholarship funds that do not have to be paid back, such as the Cooper Scholar Program and Sterrett Scholar Program. Please check ESR website at www.esr.erlum.edu for all degrees, certificates, and scholarships. Join me at the Writing for Your Life online conference, How to Write Dangerously, September 12 through 16, along with an outstanding group of speakers, including John Palovitz, Lisa Sharon Harper, Brian McLaren, Frank Thomas, Robin Henderson Espinosa, Amy Julia Becker, and many more. Go to writingforyourlife.com to learn more. For sponsorship inquiries, please email madangpodcast.gmail.com.